When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. to another edition of Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I want y'all to know, we don't read those openings. We know that shit by memory. <laughs> we def- we've said it several times. <laughs> so many times, right? Yeah. And hey, hey the y'all, please, this is going to be... The next to the last week that you can vote for the People's Choice Podcast Awards, uh, go to podcastawards.com, put in your email, get it verified, select yourself to be a finalist judge, go in and make the um, selections. Bloody Angola is under the Adam Curry's People's Choice Podcast of the Year Award, and more importantly, the one I think we're absolutely going to win, under the history section. Scroll down to Bloody Angola and give us your vote. It would mean a lot. I mean, the world. The show deserves it. No doubt about it. And look, real quick, just get this announcement out of the way as well. Uh, Or sometimes I I call her a third co-host for us here on Bloody Angola. Uh, Miss KJ Kelly Jennings of Unspeakable is having a live event in Livingston Parish, Louisiana, uh, Friday is completely sold out. Uh, Saturday, they have limited tickets left. It's theater seating. If you went to the Bloody Angola Live, same right. same place. It's being held at the same place. But the case, y'all, it is unbelievable. It's about the murder of five people in one day. The guy goes on the run. It happened right here in uh, where we record out of, Livingston Parish and Gonzalez, Louisiana, Ascension Parish. Yeah. Uh, and it, it it was just a horrible case. She has information on it you will not find anywhere else. Right. Right. Uh, and Woody will be in attendance there on right. that Friday. I of course will be uh, because I produce her show as well. And uh, and we have some other special guests that you'll have to go to see. Right. But the Saturday tickets are still there. Are still some available, but get them quick. Uh, and let's and, and do there's going to be there's going to be food 
food Dude, buddy's uh buddy's barbecue yeah, who, oh my, who that's my talked favorite about many times right? uh mickey over there at buddy's barbecue is gonna have his bomb. big food truck cooking it up all the barbecue you want and they have a drink truck right uh that is called whiskey on wheels it it has some pretty cool themed drinks and also all the beer you want yeah and that's exactly where i'll be standing <laughs> <takes> the <laughs> that's right I mean, what he's gonna have a speaker a, piped out there yeah, yeah, i'm gonna, I'm gonna have my a little corner and, and every time i need another one the line has to get out of the way that's right uh-huh. hey y'all go see it uh kelly jennings is very they say, say she's the female me yep. but she's very uh very good at what she does and she's she's actually so much different than me in a better way because she brings a more, I don't want to say tactical approach to her stories, but she, she has the worldly experience and she has the, I would call it stage presence yeah. um, experience. And we're very proud for her. Get your tickets. Amen. And now we're going to get into today's bloody and Gola story. And we released uh, one called death sentence a little while back. And right. just to refresh everyone's memory, if you haven't listened to it, by the way, go listen to yeah. it. It's amazing. But it is about people that were placed into Angola's death row. They were convicted, sentenced to death, and then were released either via DNA evidence or uh, contributing factors outside of that, like mistaken ID, perjury, stuff like that. And so, y'all, this is different than the last two we did where we talked about the ones who were executed and their last meals and last words and all that. This this goes back again, like Jim said, to the ones where – these people were exonerated, pretty much. but exonerated. Yeah, so we'll get into it, and I'm going to tell you first about Raymond Flanks. And Raymond Flanks was convicted in 1985. He was sentenced to death. Uh, tell you a little bit about that case. Uh, Flanks was 20 years old when he was arrested on December 23, 1983, for the robbery of a supermarket. Police put his photograph into a lineup and showed it to a lady named Faye Carnesi. On December 17, 1983, Carnesi had been in a car waiting for her 69-year-old husband, Martin Carnesi. She noticed a black man wearing a shower cap walk up just as Martin came down the sidewalk from their home in New Orleans. The man announced that he was robbing the place and shot Martin once in the chest. The robber then reached into the car, took Faye's purse, and left. Martin Carnesi died. Faye was obviously extremely distraught. She passed out and had to be revived. She described the gunman as a black male with a mustache in his late 20s, five foot ten, about 150 pounds. The police report said the gunman sped off in a light blue car. The make and model at that time were unknown. The police noted there have been similar robberies targeting elderly people in the same neighborhood. Uh, As a matter of fact, there were five of them within that time frame. Uh, In the December 3rd, 8th, and 12th robberies, the perpetrator was described as a black male wearing a shower cap. The victims were, like Carnesi, elderly, white, and were on the street or in a parking lot in the same neighborhood where Carnesi was killed. Mm. In two of those crimes, the victim said the robber had a soft or polite manner when speaking. The victim of the December 3rd robbery said the gunman was in his 30s. The victims of the December 8th robbery said the gunman was clean-shaven and had a small pug nose. By the time uh, Flanks went to trial in Orleans Parish in 84, he ended up pleading guilty to the supermarket robbery. Uh, On the day that Flanks was arrested for the supermarket robbery, police seized a gun from him, and he was driving a light blue 1982 Chevy. A New Orleans Police Department analysis reported that the gun was a weapon used to kill Carnesi based on the analysis of the bullet retrieved from Carnesi's body and a shell casing found on the scene. Right. Flanks was charged under the name Raymond Flank. Although Flanks was younger than the robber described by Faye, as well as the other victims, and he did not have what would be described as a pug nose, and his facial hair was different. Police put his photograph in a lineup and said that Faye had identified a photograph of Flanks as a man who shot her husband. 
So the defense learns of, of the gun analysis just before the trial, and they wanted to do their own analysis. Right. The trial judge allowed that but declined to grant a continuance, so nothing was done. What is a continuance, Woody? Continuance means they're going to delay the trial while this additional testing is going on. Gotcha. So he basically said, yeah, you can get it tested, but you got till tomorrow, you know, exactly. something essential like that. Flanks went to trial in August of 84, and the prosecution sought the death penalty. They identified Flanks as a gunman, and a police officer testified the gun recovered from Flanks was the gun used to kill Carnassi. Flanks' brother, Ralph, testified that Flanks was at home at the time of the murder. A mistrial was declared, however, when the jury was unable to reach a unanimous verdict. Now, prior to the second trial, an analysis of the weapon by the FBI excluded the weapon as the source of the bullet encasing. So there was no firearms analysis testimony when Flank went on trial a second time. The prosecution again sought the death penalty without the firearm evidence. Faye's testimony was all that was left in the prosecution's case. Under questioning by Assistant DA Jim Williams, Faye Carnesi described how she came to identify Flanks out of the photos presented in a lineup by lead detective John Dillman. I glanced at these. In other words, I looked at four of them at first, and I put them on the side. I had two left, and I looked at them. Then I looked at one picture, and I looked at this, and I got hysterical, and I said, this is the man. I'm sure this is a man. She continued and said, I'm sure this is the guy. I started shaking and grabbed my son-in-law's hand so tight, his hand was white for me gripping it. I said, get me a flashlight. Let me look. I have to be positive. I do not want to accuse anyone of killing my husband unless I'm sure. So she was absolutely, you know, hell-bent on that was him. Uh, Detective Dillman testified Faye aimed the flashlight at Flank's photo, began to weep, and said she was positive that was the gunman. Dillman said she did not he did not do anything to influence her right. or tell her, you know, you need to pick out this picture. Right, or Dill- leave a finger on his Yeah, which one it, cover yeah, everybody else's yeah, but that one. Yeah. Right. No tricks or anything. Faye uh Faye also told the detective she saw a late model automobile flee the scene, which matched up to his automobile. Flake's brother again testified it couldn't have been Flake's. He was at home on the time of the crime. It's his brother. So, I mean, you you take that with a grain of salt, right? right? Flake's was convicted of first-degree murder. The jury voted against capital punishment, and he was sentenced to life in prison. He was later sentenced to 15 years for the supermarket supermarket robbery. Decades later, the Innocence Project, which we told you all about many times, Uh, filed a public records request, looked over it, and they found kind of a lot of inconsistencies. For example, Faye had told the grand jury that when she was shown the photographic lineup, she remembered one thing about this man. He had a little white blotch on the side of his cheek, a white mark, like discolored. Flanks did not have any such mark. She also testified that Dillman had shaken his head from side to side and said, that's him. She said she concluded that the photograph of Flakes that she was shown did not show the side of his face with the mark. Flakes, uh, when arrested, was driving a light blue Chevrolet that was only one year old. Uh, she had testified that it was a older vehicle, same color, just older vehicle. So they start filing motions as these people do, and there was a lot of in- inconsistencies found. And eventually, Flanks got released uh, due to all of this lack of evidence. So I'll right. tell you about this case for for this purpose. Doesn't mean he didn't do it. Uh, what it means is there were so many inconsistencies. Right. I mean, putting totality of circumstances together, it's a shit show. It, that's right. But especially it, what bothers me is the firearm. They, how do you match it? One, they at first it's matched, and then they order the separate tests, and when the FBI lab comes back and says no, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that stinks. Yeah, that yeah. something don't smell right there, and all you know, it it also hammers down the point that you say on real life, real crime a lot, and that is from a detective standpoint. That's why you're so concerned right. with making sure 
all your evidence is lined up. Absolutely. There's no tomfoolery going on anywhere right. because one slip up, even forgetting to read him the rights. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, if it's true, then there is no tomfoolery. Right. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you, you, I train them. If you're going to come after somebody like that, come correct. Yeah. Right. You're dealing with someone's life. And, and, you know, I don't know. Uh, he got the 15 years out for the supermarket. Yeah. Which he, he did get it. Right. Well, that's crazy. But when, no life in prison. He got, yeah. Yeah. Got I mean, exonerated. Got exonerated that. That's a big deal. I mean, yeah. 15 years. Or he probably had that in time served by the time that that came, the second trial came about. Absolutely. All right. So, y'all, I'm going to take you to a story about a guy named Alan Coco. Now, the crime. In the early morning hours of May 26, 1995, a man standing over her bed woke the victim. He grabbed her and put a knife to her throat. He then raped her anally and vaginally. Oh, During the rape, the victim struggled with the assailant and was able to get a hold of the knife. When he when she stabbed him in the buttocks, he jumped out the window. All right. So the police showed the victim a series of photographic lineups on June 20th, 1995. She identified Alan Coco from the second lineup that she was shown. There were several discrepancies between Coco's appearance and the victim's initial descri- description. The victim described the perpetrator as wearing shorts and a short sleeve shirt. She did not describe any tattoos. Coco has large tattoos on both of his arms, including a three and a half inch tattoo of his own name, Coco. Uh, so Coco also did not have a stab wound on his buttocks. And on the way out of the window, the perpetrator got stuck in the mini blinds. As a result, there was blood on the blinds and floor because the victim cut the man. The Southwest Louisiana Regional Crime Lab Laboratory performed serology testing on the blood stains for the, from the floor. Coco had the same blood type. Now, y'all, this would have been for DNA. Um, blood type of the stains occurring in only 5.8% of all African Americans. The serology testing consumed the stains, which means there's not going to be enough to test later on. The trial. Alan Coco testified on his own behalf at trial. That's, that's certain as innocence, and that's very rare, y'all, as you know. The victim's identification and the serology evidence were the only evidence presented against him by the state. He was convicted of aggravated rape and aggravated burglary in a bench trial on November 7, 1997. Y'all, a bench trial is, I don't even know why that we do on an ag rape case. Maybe it was different back then. But a bench trial means the judge hears it. There's no jury. And and the judge gets to make the decision. Now, that's a roll of the dice. Yeah. But probably the the um, defense lawyers were like, we don't want the jury to hear about somebody being alien or raped, badly raped, because they're going to be mad and whatever. So they took the chance with the judge. Anyway, um, November 7th, 1997, and he was sentenced to life in prison without probation or parole. In 2003, the Innocence Project of New Orleans took on Coco's case. They were able to secure an order for DNA testing in 2005. The knife and swabs were submitted to Religene, that's a lab, y'all, and in March 2006, test results proved that Coco could not have been the perpetrator Mm. of this crime. The state demanded retesting in its own laboratory, and those results confirmed Religene's findings. In July 2006, Coco's conviction was vacated and the judge ordered a new trial. On October 12, 2006, after performing performing further tests to test the veracity of Coco's blood samples that the state had taken, the DA decided to drop the charges against him and Coco was released after more than 11 years in custody, including nine years of this sentence. Oh, wow. Right? But in 2008, the state of Louisiana paid Coco 150 grand in compensation. But this happens on so many of these stores, Jim, that like the last series we did on this, he, he died a short time after getting out of prison. Man, that's horrible. And this is clearly, clearly this guy did not do this. Yeah, right? I mean, come on. 
the stab wound and the buttocks. I, I can't believe they let and, it go and, beyond yeah, that. How I, are you going to said it a million that. times. Eyewitness testimony is the worst form of testimony. Yep. Yep. All right. We're going to tell you about Gregory Bright. And Gregory Bright was convicted in 1976. Con, uh, he was sentenced to life. Uh, and he was exonerated in 2003. Let me tell you about this case. Gregory Bright, in the so in the early morning hours of October 31st, Halloween night of 1975, I was yeah, one I was year five old. five years old, I'm sure. I was trick or treating. 15-year-old Elliot Porter was shot and killed in the Cooper Housing Project in New Orleans. Yes, indeed. 20-year-old Gregory Bright and 17-year-old and a 17-year-old became suspects after a known drug addict, Sheila Caston, implicated them in in the crime in exchange for reward money. Both were arrested on November 15th of 75 and charged with second-degree murder. On July of 1976, Bright and Truvia, who was the uh, juvenile, went to trial in Orleans Parish District Court. The trial lasted one day. Caston, who used a false name on the witness stand to hide her history of mental illness and criminal behavior, provided the only evidence that implicated Bright and Trivia to the murder. So basically, you had a woman who, who was given reward money. She had a history of crime, and she had a history of mental illness. And she lies about her name. Right. Uh, in order to conceal that so that she could testify against them. He had absolutely no physical evidence leaking either one of them to the crime, and the murder weapon was never found. Defense lawyers for Brighton Trivia failed to impeach uh, Caston's testimony with evidence from the coroner's report, which indicated that the death occurred at a different time than she testified to, and failed to visit the scene of the crime, which would have revealed Caston could not have seen the shooting from the spot where she said she was. Just horrible defense uh, on this case. And and when you're from those – it's a very poor project part of New Orleans – you, you know, Not you're relying either. on yeah. uh, state state funded lawyers on the defense side. Some right. of those are very, very good. I'm not throwing shade on them, but some of them are also very, very burnt out. And they, you know, almost every case they get, the guy's guilty. Right. So they never really look into these things, a, a lot of them. Uh, after 13 minutes of deliberating, the jury convicts Bright and Trivia of second degree murder, and the judge sentences them to life in prison. In 2001, the Innocence Project took up the case at a hearing on a motion. They showed the prosecutors uh, that the state had withheld uh, exculpatory evidence, which is a big no-no. Uh, right. From these defense lawyers, they included a police report naming other suspects in the crime that right. no, yeah, nobody yeah, ever mentioned. Uh, they also presented evidence that Caston was addicted to heroin, cocaine, and meth, and had track marks all over her entire body. She had been jailed numerous times and used eight different aliases. So they, the way that they attacked this was the credibility of the only witness that said that they did the crime. Uh, they also proved she had changed her story several times. And they even presented a pathologist who said the victim was probably killed four to six hours after Caston said she saw Bright wow. run from the scene. Wow. So in February of 2002, Orleans Parish District Judge Charlie Ellaby granted the motion for a new trial. However, Trevia and Bright remained in prison while the prosecution appealed that. And in 2003, the Supreme Court upheld the judge's ruling. So on June of 2003, the Orleans Parish District Attorney dismissed all the charges against Bright and Trivia and, so. and also said the behavior of the former DA was inexcusable. The next day, after 27 years in prison, that's crazy. Bright and Trivia were released. Each was given a $10 check from the state of Louisiana what? and a trash bag filled with their belongings. Wow. Bright and Trivia filed a federal civil rights lawsuit. You better believe they did. Uh, based on their wrongful convictions. But that lawsuit was dismissed in 2012. The state of Louisiana awarded each of them 330000 in compensation. I think that's the maximum. 
in March of 2018, Trevi and another person were charged with conspiring to smuggle drugs into the jail in New Orleans. Trevi pled guilty and was sentenced to probation. So, crazy. Uh, yeah, 27 years in prison. It's a long time, homie. A long time, and and uh, so just a, another situation of of lawyers, you just know. Crazy, crazy. Jerry fucking a have, case for yeah, back I mean, of the I, I, I bet they had to meet with him three or four times before the trial. Yeah. yeah that's another workload. All right, y'all. So let me tell you about Henry James. On November 22nd, 1981, Henry James spent much of the day helping a friend repair his car in West Wego, Louisiana. Later that day, James and his friend drove the car, but got into an accident, and James' friend was arrested. At 8 p.m. that night, James went to the home of his friend and told his friend's wife what had happened. Then he went home. At 6 a.m. the following morning, the friend's wife was awakened by a man who came in the back door and drew a knife. The man raped the woman in her bedroom and fled. Police were summoned, and the victim told police that she did not know who attacked her and gave a brief description of her attacker. On November 24, 1981, a police officer patrolling the neighborhood saw James who roughly fit the description given by the woman, and the officer told the detective who was working on the case. The victim, who was white, ultimately selected a photograph of James, who was black, as her attacker, and after looking through a book of about 75 photographs of black men, James 20 was arrested on November 25, 1981, and was put into the lineup, and the victim identified him again. At the trial, the victim identified James. The prosecution also called a physician to testify that the victim had had intercourse within a few hours of his examination. What the jury did not hear was that serology testing from the rape kit had excluded James as the attacker. The prosecution had turned the laboratory report over to James' defense attorney, but the attorney never introduced it into court. Mm. James testified, unusual, but describing his day in with the victim's husband and said that he was asleep in the morning until he was awakened by his stepfather and witness testified that he saw James walking to work and gave him a ride. And James boss testified that James was at work at 6:48 AM. James was convicted on April 15, 1982. And on May 7, 1982, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole at bloody Angola. He lost his appeals and ultimately reached out to New York-based Innocence Project in 2005 to try to get his DNA testing performed. And y'all, they did it, uh, but they were unable to find anything. And on May 3rd, 2010, Milton Daru, who worked in the lab, was looking for evidence in a different case when he happened upon a slide from James's case. He remembered the case number from his earlier search from the evidence, and the slide was sent out for DNA testing. And on September 26, 2011, the test excluded James as the rapist. On October 20th, 2011, 24th Judicial District Judge Henry Sullivan vacated James' conviction and the charges were dismissed. That night, James was put into solitary confinement to ensure safety. And the following morning, October 21, 2011, James was released from bloody Angola. And he was given $330,000 in state compensation, which I think is the maximum. Yeah, that is the maximum. I mean, (laughs) hard to put a price on your freedom. How about having a fucking bad day, right? I mean, this it happens, people. It happens. And I like to say I pray all the time that I I never put anybody in that wrongfully. But some of this is just wrong. Well, we're going to tell you right now about Elvis Brooks, and this is a recent exoneration. As a matter of fact, it occurred in 2022. Uh, Now, he was convicted in 1977. Wow. So he spent close to 40 years, right? If my math serves me correct. Uh, Actually, over 40 years, 43, 44 years. 46 years. Wow. 45 years, yeah. Let me tell you about this case, y'all. That's a long time. That's your entire life. Let me tell you about this case. At 11 p.m. on July 1st, 1977, two men robbed the Welcome Inn Bar in the Lower Ninth Ward, New Orleans. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? 
Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash bloodyangola and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash bloodyangola. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There you go. Shooting 58-year-old Cecil Lloyd to death during the robbery. The bar's owner, Ida Mae Caruso, told police that two black men came in the bar's door and asked for two beers to go. When Caruso handed the cans of beer to the men, they pushed their way inside, each holding a sawed-off shotgun. Right. The taller man went behind the bar and took the money from the register with the shorter man threatening the patrons and demanding wallets and purses. Along with Caruso... Customers Catherine Cipriano, Milton Shows, and Joseph Noto gave officers with the NOPD descriptions of the robbers. Shows described the shorter man in his mid-20s around 5'4". Noto said this man was 30, 30 years old, 5'6", medium complexion, wearing a tan T-shirt. Uh, and, uh, you know, they go through these descriptions. Right. During the investigation, police collected fingerprint samples from the beer cans and from other items that the robbers touched. About a week after the robbery slash murder, police officers working the case remembered that a potential suspect in the neighborhood, who they said resembled the description of the shorter robber, his name was Elvis Brooks. He was 19. He worked at Brennan's Restaurant, which is a famous very, restaurant very famous. in the New Orleans. Chain of restaurants with different names, same owners. Officers placed a mugshot of Brooks in a six-pack and showed it to Caruso, Cipriano, and Noto. Each identified Brooks as being the shorter robber. Police arrested him on July of 1977, and he was charged with first-degree murder and three counts of robbery. He goes to trial. Caruso, Cipriano, and Noto each testify that Brooks was the shorter robber at the welcome in. Their testimony differed from their statements to police. All three testified that the shorter robber wore a white V-neck T-shirt and dark pants. In addition, Noto and Caruso each testified that they had told police a shorter robber had a mole or similar mark on his forehead. Uh, Brooks had a black dot tattooed on his forehead between his eyes. He got the tattoo in 75, a year after the mugshot used in the photo six-pack was taken. Brooks presented a robust alibi defense. Twelve witnesses, many of them family members, testified Brooks was at home for a Fourth of July get-together at the time of the robbery. Covering the trial, uh, reporters wrote, try as he might, the prosecutor could uncover few discrepancies in the testimony of the witnesses. So basically, even the reporters were finding a lot of this stuff wasn't adding up. Um Following his conviction, Brooks filed a direct appeal. 
And the Supreme Court affirmed the conviction in 1980. Now, get this. For the next 39 years, Brooke, assisted by inmates of Angola, filed more than 20 unsuccessful motions to get his conviction overturned, challenging everything from the IDs made by witnesses to the jury instructions. It's what he told you. IDs by witnesses, very unreliable. On January 4th of 2019, he filed a motion for post-conviction release and was represented at this point by Innocent Project of New Orleans. Uh, they had a little bit of pool. They basically dug into this case, and they found out uh, a couple of things. First, a note in the prosecutor's file said Brooks was not the source of the fingerprints found on the beer cans. They come across that. Second, the testimony given by two of the witnesses about the white T-shirt was at odds with their statements to police and with the bulletin released by police that mentioned a tan short shirt. Third, there was no evidence of police files that the witnesses had mentioned uh, the markings on Brooks' forehead prior to the trial that appeared to contradict their testimony. And lastly, uh, the welcome in robbers had likely committed another robbery that same night about an hour earlier and a block away. The victims of that robbery gave similar descriptions of the two men to police, and they they did not identify Brooks as one of those robbers. So they took all that evidence. They sought a new trial. And when that happens, you know, people start digging in and and they find that the prosecution was not turning over exculpatory evidence. They find all these issues. And uh, so the state eventually grants the motion and dismisses all the charges on April 28th of 2022 after this guy spent 40 Six years in prison. That is crazy. A uh, forty six years in prison. It's your entire life. It's crazy. Hey. Boom, boom, Jim. Bro, you. I'm about to blow your motherfucking mind. I did this case. You're kidding me, Vincent Simmons. No and shit. I don't know what the legality of me talking about it is because uh, just to well, talk, we'll give talk you to another you real quick one. off the record. This motherfucker. The um they contacted me. I was it, it was it was uh L- Lavardi and whatever his name is, and his son, two attorneys out of Alexandria and the, the New York's Innocent Project who picked it up. Yeah. He had been in Angola forever for allegedly raping these two white girls from a boys' parish. He uh, he said the whole time that yeah he fucked one of them, but you know the other one was watching and all that. It was it was a consensual thing. But back when it happened, it was they got found out. And that you know the cops picked him up and everything else. He maintained his innocence the whole time. I didn't know they got this motherfucker off. It, like yeah. in twenty twenty two, they got him off. Uh, I was I was like Vincent Simmons, and he got big old thick glasses. Um, so when I did him, it, it was at the uh, Bulls Paris prison. They they got him transferred there for the testing and to be closer to to his attorneys. Uh, and this is where the shit show is. Listen to this. So now, in July 2022, he filed a federal lawsuit against the Wolves Parish Sheriff's Office, as well as prosecutors and sheriff's office officials, claiming they fabricated evidence against him and suppressed other evidence that could have been his con- conviction. The, uh, well, we don't have to do that one. The, I, mean, I, I didn't know this happened. I need to call. Uh, the dad's dead now. Yeah. The, uh, the older attorney. I need to call, um, I can't remember his name, and find out what the deal is because the polygraph, the the, you know, the motherfucker passed it. And, and I know they can't use it in the civil suit, but they would, if both sides agree with it, they can call me in and say whatever. Yeah. But I can't believe they fucking got him off. I think mm-hmm. just give me one of yours. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, this motherfucker is long and distinguished. I mean, I could do a whole episode on that on real life for a crime one day. Yeah, you may want to. That's fucking crazy. It's fucking wild, bro. I hadn't even thought about it. I, I guess it was probably seven or eight years ago. I'll do Cedric Dent. Yeah, do. do. All right. I'll start reading that. Did you read this story? 
Uh, yeah. It's fucking it's, it's insane. Horrible, bro. I'm going to hold it for you to the side. And I, I, I talked to um, uh, the sisters, too, at one point. And they were still adamant that he, he's, he's not he's true. Out. Yeah. All right. Boom, Jim. All right, y'all, I'm going to tell you about Cedric Dent. At about 10 p.m. on September the 2nd, 1997, 19-year-old Anthony Melton and his cousin Jerry Hamilton were walking through a vacant lot near St. Thomas Housing Project in New Orleans. Uh, y'all, all these housing projects we talked about in this episode are gone now. Uh, uh, after Katrina, they came in and tore them down and put up other buildings. So, But anyway, so but the housing projects back then, Jim, they they had their own NOPD police office for the housing police. They wouldn't mm-hmm. even roll in there unless they rolled in two units deep. That's how right. bad it was. Yeah. It was the height of the crack epidemic. It was fucking bad. Wild so, West. Right? So anyway, Anthony Melton and, and his cousin Jerry were walking through a vacant lot near the St. Thomas Housing Project in New Orleans, Louisiana, when Melton was fatally shot in the head from behind. Hamilton, who was 18 years old, told the first police officers on the scene that the gunman was short, brown skin, and had short hair. He said he heard a shot, ran toward the housing project, then turned around and saw the gunman pointing a pistol at him. This was the first of six times that Hamilton would give an account of that night, and every account was different. Four of those accounts were never disclosed by the police and prosecution, and ultimately, Hamilton identified 22-year-old Cedric Dent as the gunman. He pointed to Dent in a photographic array and identified him at trial. That's pretty damning evidence where you get it right or not. Oh, yeah. And just, especially if the person is believable. But on May 18, 1999, a jury in the Orleans Parish District Court convicted Dent of second-degree murder. Dent was sentenced to life in bloody Angola. In none of Hamilton's descriptions did he mention that the shooter had gold teeth, a mustache, or a flat-top haircut, all of which Dent had. While Hamilton maintained the shooter was about five foot six, and Dent was about five foot eight. In August of 2022, more than 23 years later, the Orleans Parish District Attorney's Office filed a motion to vacate the committee. The conviction. The motion was granted and Dent was released. His release concluded a long legal battle waged first by Dent from prison, acting without a lawyer, and later by uh, Meredith Angelson, an attorney with the Innocence Project in New Orleans, and Colin Rangel, an attorney with the Promise of Justice Initiative. In May of 2022, Angleson and Ringo filed a petition seeking to vacate Dent's conviction. The petition outlined the arc of how Hamilton's ability to identify the gunman had evolved. And as the first count in the shooting, Hamilton said that he and Melton had left the Jackson Market and were walking through the vacant lot next to the housing project, one of the oldest and more notorious housing projects in New Orleans history. Located in the Lower Garden District, the project was where Sister Helen Prejean moved in 1982. Shout out to her. Y'all heard us talk about her a million times. To live and work with poor people. While there, she began corresponding with Patrick Sonier, who we told y'all about, Mm -hmm. whose execution inspired her book in the film Dead Man Walking. One year after Melton was killed, the project was demolished and replaced with mixed-income housing. About an hour after the shooting, Hamilton spoke to a detective and said the gunman was a black male with a small head, buck eyes, short, about five foot six, thin build with short hair. He said the gunman wore a white t-shirt. He did not describe any pants. Hamilton said the gunman had been in front of him and Melton while they were in line to pay for their purchase at the market. He said the gunman went to the side of the building when Hamilton left the store. Hamilton said that when he ran, it was only two steps. When he looked back, he saw the gunman about seven feet behind Anthony pointing the gun at me. The gunman then fled. Hamilton was unable to say which hand the gun was in or to describe it. On November 10th, 1997, Hamilton, for the first time, mentioned during a conversation with a prosecutor that he had gone to another store 
while Melton stood in line to pay for drinks at the market, and that when he returned, Melton had just finished paying. Rather than saying that the shooter was in the line ahead of them, Hamlin said the shooter already had his stuff. Mm. Right? The story's not adding up. One thing never changes is the truth. Okay. Although he told prosecutor that he saw the gunman at the store, Hamlin said he himself was at the store for only a few seconds before he and Melton left to walk home. In this conversation, instead of saying he ran, he said he jumped off his bike when the shot was fired and looked back to see the shooter pointing a gun at him. For the first time, Hamilton said the gun was black, though he couldn't tell if it was a revolver or semi-automatic. Hmm. Stories change. One thing that doesn't change, the truth. On November 13, 1997, Hamilton testified before the grand jury that indicted Dent. In this testimony, Hamilton said he left the market to buy bread and returned, <laughs> right? Keeps changing. And returned to meet Melton in the market. He now said that he did not see the gunman until the gunman was standing at the side of the building between the store and a parking lot. When he heard the gunshot, Hamilton said, I tried to run, but I turned around and the gunman was only a couple feet away. Well, Where's the bike in this one, Jim? Mm. At first, Hamilton said he saw the gunman's face because a light was shining toward the gunman, although there was no such light at the scene. Asked the second time if he had been able to see the shooter's face, Hamilton replied, yeah, I got a good look at him. None of those statements, two statements to the police, a statement to a prosecutor, and the statement to the grand jury were disclosed to Dent's defense lawyers prior to the trial according to the post-conviction petition. In a trial that hinged on the reliability of Mr. Hamilton's testimony and his ability to accurately identify the shooter, his testimony about what happened that night went unimpeached. On September 13, 1997, Dent voluntarily went to the police after learning that police were looking for him. Dent denied involvement in the crime and said he had been at the Bell Promenade Shopping Mall in Marrero, Louisiana, in a movie theater watching the field hoodlum, Hamilton identified Dent as the gunman in the lineup. In June 1998, during a hearing on a motion to suppress Hamilton's ID, Hamilton gave another version of what he observed. He said he first noticed the gunman outside the store by a window. He said that when he came back to the market, Melton was coming out of the line. He was getting his stuff. And for the first time, Hamlin said that although there were numerous people hanging around outside the market, he noticed the gunman was following us. I noticed that much. What really made me notice him was he kept looking at me. <laughs> this is almost comical. Hamilton was certain that he did not run away. When he heard the shot, I jumped off on bike and turned around, he said. In this account, the gunman was 10 feet away and pointing the gun at him. A jury was selected on May 17, 1999, and the trial was over on the May the 18th. It lasted two hours. The lead detective, That's crazy. I have never heard of one that short. The lead detective, Michael Burris, testified there was no light at all at the location where Melton's body was found, suggesting that it would have been difficult, if not possible, to see the gunman. Hamilton now said that when he came back to the market, the shooter was in line to make a purchase. And he said that when he and Melton walked past the shooter to leave, the gunman was just looking at me, and I'm looking back just kind of staring each other down. He said the gunman was looking at me funny. He said that as he and Melton walked away. I kept turning around. I saw him behind us, and for the first time, Hamlin said that he and the gunman stared at each other for like about 10 seconds before the gunman fled. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dent's defense lawyer presented no evidence and did not attempt to verify Dent's claim that he had been at the movie theater at the time of the crime. 
He also did not cross-examine Hamilton as to any prior versions of the event Hamilton had given. No physical evidence can connected Dent to the crime. And after a two-hour two-hour trial and three hours of jury deliberation, Dent was convicted. How about that? The trial took less than the than the jury deliberation. That's insane. So the petition asserted that the detective bureaus had failed to disclose the existence of another eyewitness. Notes of a conversation Beers had with a witness named Rodney, which were discovered years after the trial, showed that Rodney said he saw a man five feet foot six inches tall, weighing 130 to 140 pounds, with a brown complexion and wearing a white shirt with a design on the front. Rodney said the person followed Melton from the store to the lot where Melton was shot. Rodney said the shooter had a blue steel handgun in his right hand. Like Hamilton, Rodney did not mention gold teeth, a mustache, or a flat-top haircut. When Dent turned himself in at the police station, his weight was noted at 160 pounds. At trial, Burris falsely testified that Hamilton was the only witness. The petition noted, erased completely from the narrative of the case, Rodney was not called to testify because no one knew who he was except Detective Burris, and Detective Burris had not asked him whether the man he saw was Cedric Dent or someone else. <laughs> right? Cuff him and stuff him. Yeah. The petition also accused Burris of manipulating police reports as described how Dent came to be a suspect in the case. Although Burris had no leads on the shooter, on September 4, two days after shooting, Burris ran Dent's name through a computer system to get his criminal background. At that time, Dent had some traffic violations and a minor nonviolent crime conviction. According to the petition, the information erroneously, erroneously indicated that Dent lived at 701 St. Mary Street. The petition said that Burris then spoke with Valerie Melton, who was Melton's mother. According to Burris' notes, which had not been previously disclosed, she told Burris that concerned citizens told her that they knew who shot her son. Mm. The note said she told Beerus that C.D., initials y'all, C.D., C.D., apparently referring to Cedric Dent, killed him after an argument in the market. However, the petition said Beerus' report said that he first got Dent's name from Melton's mother, even though he had already run Dent's name through the computer. Can't, that couldn't happen, right? The report also said that Melton's mother said the information came from a female witness who did not want to be involved. Typical. According to Beers' report, the witness saw Dent cutting in front of Melton in the market. The witness claimed to know Dent and that he lived at 701 St. Mary Street, which was false. Y'all, this stinks in high heaven. This conviction had been upheld in 2001 by Louisiana Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. He had filed two post-conviction petitions in the next three years, but both were dismissed. In 2005, Dent had filed a federal petition for a writ of habeas corpus, which was denied in 2006. Along the way, Dent had been able to obtain some of the undisclosed records by filing a public records request for the DA's file on the case in 2009. Working without a lawyer, he filed another petition for post-conviction release, However, that motion never made it to a courtroom and went unanswered for years. In 2020, his legal team filed another records request with the prosecution, and the result in the disclosure amounted to more than 1,000 pages of records, including the notes of Hamilton's conversation with prosecutor and Hamilton's grand jury testimony. Records were requested from the New Orleans Police Department, which resulted in disclosure of 50 more pages of records, which did not include Detective Spears' handwritten notes. When the legal team asked to review the homicide file in person, police said the file could not be found. And after a subpoena was issued, however, the file was located. And in it were Beers' notes about Rodney, the undisclosed second eyewitness, as well as his notes that showed how he had manipulated his report to indicate that Melton's mother was the initial source pointing to Dent. Wow. It's crazy. The petition said that Beerus had eliminated Rodney and attributed portions of Rodney's statement to Hamilton in an attempt to make Mr. Hamilton's ID look more reliable. The petition noted 
that the legal team had located a man named Rodney who was working the night shift at the market at the time of the shooting. Rodney no longer had any memory of the circumstances of that night. However, had Burris made a record for him, Dent's defense could have located Rodney at a time when his memory was clear. The petition also said that Burris's um, obfuscation of his conversation with Melton's mother meant that Dent's attorney was blocked from several powerful avenues of impeachment of the officer who had marshaled the evidence that Dent had anything to do with the crime. Armed with full knowledge and the inconsistencies and timeline of con- contradictions that existed between Detectives Beer's report and the underlying documents, adequate counsel could have thoroughly undermined the integrity and thoroughness of Beer's investigation. The defense could have made clear to the jury that the evidence against Mr. Dent was so thin that the lead officer felt the need to fabricate more to make him look guilty when he was not. Mm. Petition also accused the prosecution of allowing Hamilton to testify falsely, Known that at trial, the prosecutor was aware of at least four versions of the story Hamilton had told about the night of the murder. And when Hamilton said he saw the shooter was in line when he returned to the market, the prosecutor knew or should have known that Hamilton had said at least three times before, including under oath, that this was not the case. Dent also sought relief on the ground that he had been convicted by a non-unanimous jury, and the vote to convict Dent was 10-2. to and in 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled on non-unanimous verdicts were unconstitutional. On August 8, 2022, so less than a year ago, y'all, the Civil Rights Division of New Orleans PD, I'm sorry, of the New Orleans Parish District Attorney's Office filed a motion to vacate Dent's conviction. The motion was based primarily on the prosecution's claim that Dent did not get a fair trial because his defense lawyer failed to investigate Dent's alibi claim and present evidence to support that claim. And because the defense lawyer failed to accurately cross-examine witnesses about the discrepancy between the descriptions of the gunman and Dent's parents, the motion of AK was granted, and the case was dismissed, and Dent was released. Wow. It's and long, but it's, it's, it's really important. It is. And the, the totality of the whole thing. That's right. And in that case, you know, like a lot of these cases that we're covering on these, uh, it is a a lack of the defense team really doing their job. I didn't give you a know, just yeah. I mean, that it was overworked. Like passing passing along. Look, look, look. You're almost nineteen ninety seven. They probably had five or six murders a day, no yeah. doubt. And and but. The uh, defense, a two-hour jury trial? It's crazy. Dude's on trial for his life. But <laughs> let's go back to look, crazy. At it, look at it for a second. Not only should it never been a trial, because Hamilton story changed four times. Yeah. Un- under even, yeah. right, with the grand jury. Prosecution should have never let him testify. But then the cop ran Dent's name days before he even met Dent's mom. And he, he says, oh, it was Dent's mom that gave me his name. In the initial CD, but we know that's a lie. Then you find out there was actually another witness who described another guy in in Rodney, right? Right. That that described another guy. That's right. And he didn't say anything about him having gold teeth. I mean, shit is just so much. That might be one of the most egregious stories that I've ever heard. That's right. And and well, that's that's uh, that's what we're going to give you today. And uh, Patreon members, Patreon members. Love y'all, and uh, you about to be blessed with another episode too. That's right. So, uh, so look for that. You got a bonus episode coming your way uh, by Monday. We'll have that edited up and and uh, drop just for patron members. Right. Locking that up for and y'all. Look, there's a lot in that vault. Oh yeah, a lot of episodes oh, yeah. and a lot of our best episodes. No doubt. So until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. Your host of Bloody Angola. A podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome girdy, 
calling my name There is no mercy in this penitentiary Just ask the Hill String Gang Wrangle the three When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.